Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Rugby Lineout Podcast. Well, actually, it's this year's first edition of the Rugby Lineout Podcast. Um, and I also will be honest, it's uh, with a fair degree of uh, not quite shame, but um, sadness that this is actually the first one um, that I've done since uh, November uh, when I got back from France. So apologies from that. I have been managing to get some uh, posts out over on the blog and I'll obviously keep the TV and internet page uh, going with all the crop of the the best stuff from uh, YouTube and various uh, uh, things in relation to that. So I have managed to uh, keep that going a little bit and uh, ramped up the uh, tempo a little bit on that um, since Christmas, but, uh, yeah, sorry for the lack of, uh, or shall I say the silence regarding the podcast, uh, lots of good intentions, uh, busy at work. And then unfortunately, uh, injured my back, uh, on uh, new year's day and been flat out since then. So, uh, yeah, a few, a few setbacks, but, uh, we're back and, uh, let's get into it. Certainly, uh, as we start the new year, um, lots of exciting stuff ahead of us. Um, like I said in, in last week's blog, um, you know, there's a great year women's rugby ahead of us. There's the champion European champions cup rugby going on right now, uh, with the final, uh, pool stage round this weekend. And that's just thrown up some just spectacular club rugby, uh, enthralling stuff and following on from that, that, you know, that leads us nicely into, uh, the Six Nations, and if the standard of play that we've seen in the European Champions Cup is anything to go by, wow, are we ever in for a treat uh, for the Six Nations. Um, so yeah, lots to to get excited about there. Um, but we'll start off uh, this week, basically, uh, what, got, uh, got, what got me thinking and talking this week. Well, obviously, the big one is, um, you know, say with uh, the six nations only two weeks uh, two weeks away the start of the six nations uh european champions cup playoffs um final pool stage round this weekend everything to play for for so many teams uh even for the you know the lucky few teams that have already qualified you know there's still uh home home games for the knockout stages on the line and so on and so forth so you know that's that's pretty exciting um and uh you know with the six nations only two weekends away uh the coaches have now named all their squads um and i'm throwing out my kind of crystal ball as to who i think's uh in the running who's in the mix who's not in the mix um and uh yeah how i think maybe the tournament will pan out and who's gonna finish where so a quick uh, whip round of that and uh yeah and then the other thing that uh i'll i'll talk about it um because everybody else seems to be talking about it so i guess you know we'll have a a quick look at it because uh, it certainly did catch most of us um by surprise um the move of welsh winger um louis reesamet to the nfl um, yeah, certainly caught us by surprise. The overall theme that I have on that one is good luck to him. Um, it's certainly not, not a, it's a, it's a surprise move, but I, I don't look at it in a negative light. I think we have to look at it as him as an individual and wanting to achieve something that he says that he's always dreamed about doing. So, so good luck to him. 
And then last but definitely not least, um, huge excitement uh, for me regarding yet another uh, recognition of how um, the the women's game is really, really starting to, to rocket through the stratosphere with the announcement of the first ever British and Irish Lions tour, women's tour to New Zealand. Uh, great, super excited about that and uh, just long time coming. Um, just, just, just absolutely fantastic. So yeah, lots to talk about, but let's get into it. Uh, Champions Cup uh, knockout race gets underway in just a few hours this afternoon and then all through the weekend. And it doesn't really, doesn't get much more exciting than this. I mean, I think, like I said before, some of the rugby that has been on display in this Champions Cup, you know, put aside some of the, you know, the format of it still isn't perfect still needs some work and so on and so forth. But, you know, if you watched any of the games last weekend, I mean, some of the rugby on display was just mind blowing. Um, so, yeah, it's I love it. It's one of my favorite tournaments. I would argue it's the best club competition in the world. Um, you know, I think super rugby in the southern hemisphere is kind of faded into the background very much by comparison. Um, it's, it's really not that much of an international competition. Uh, it's merely more than anything, especially given that the Australian sides are so poor, it's more just like an exhibition, uh, exhibition tournament for New Zealand sides. Admittedly, you know, it's great to see Fiji and Drua in there causing some upsets, but yeah, Super Rugby just doesn't have, um, what the Champions Cup has. And, you know, especially now you, you throw South African sides into the mix. It's it's just a fabulous tournament. Clunky at times, uh, certainly in terms of the way the pools are laid out and so on and so forth. But if you want exciting rugby, it's, it's, it's hard to beat it. Um, so, yeah. So you go into this weekend, um, you know, on the back of three weekends of high-octane rugby. Um, and... You know, even though there are a couple of teams who have already secured their spot in the knockout stages, there's still plenty to play for, even for them. Like I say, the the home games um, are at stake for the for the teams that have already qualified. So they need a strong finish. There's only one team uh, so far that is completely out of the running, and that's Stade Francais, which I got to admit is surprising given their form in the top 14. But for everybody else, there's everything to play for this weekend. Uh, Pool one, dominated by France. Uh, Bordeaux and Lyon have been fantastic. Bordeaux in particular has been a revelation. Um, but, uh, you know, Bordeaux are leading the pool. They're already qualified along with Lyon, but Bordeaux will want a strong finish. They got a difficult road trip down to Pretoria, a uh, long journey down to Pretoria, uh, playing at altitude, playing in Loftus Veresfeld, which is always a hard place to play. And the added challenge of playing at altitude after that long journey. Um, out of pool one, I definitely say that the Bulls are the best place team to to make the knockouts uh, after Bordeaux and Lyon. Um, you know they're at home. They they packed a pretty strong side for this fixture. And as I say, they're at Loftus and and all the fans. So yeah, I got a I got a tip uh, the Bulls to 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 clinch that uh, knockout spot in pool one. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for Lyon, who are also qualified, they're on the road to Saracens. Um, 
and you know the stoops uh, sorry not the stoop um you know saracens is always a, pl- a hard place to play um but uh you know i think the english uh, i think saris will be rattled after that schooling they received at, at the hands of bordeaux last weekend so you know leon will fan- fancy their chances um and then you know bristol bears and connacht are still in the mix bristol bears more so uh, than Connacht. I mean, Connacht's chances now are pretty slim, almost non-existent. Um, but the Bears will fancy their chances, even though they're going to make the trip to, to Galway. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how, how that one uh, ends up. Um, you know, Connacht and even Bristol, to be honest, need um, Saracens to slip up massively against Lyon to make it through. Pool two, uh, that's been dominated by Bath and Toulouse. And oh my Lord, have they been playing some spectacular rugby. Um, both Bath and Toulouse are through to the knockouts. And as a result, this this fixture between the two of them in Toulouse this weekend is a real treat because it's going to determine who gets that home uh, knockout game. Um, I don't know. I think despite having Finn Russell in the mix for Bath, I'd have to put my money on the on the French side who are now, you know, really keen to put that record six European star on their jersey. And the fact that it's being played in Toulouse and in front of the Toulouse faithful and having been to Toulouse last year um, during the World Cup, that's a special place. That's that's one of rugby's great spiritual heartlands. It's, it's going to be hard to win there. Um, for the others, I, I think Harlequins probably look the best placed uh, to claim one of those last spots uh, up for grabs for a knockout. They host Ulster, who have looked good, but just keep falling short of the mark somehow this year. Uh, Racing 92 in Cardiff will also play this weekend. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, with Racing 92 uh, being at home in Paris. Um they may have something to say about it, but I think especially for the Welshmen, they're they're kind of out of the mix, to be honest. Um, and uh, Racing 92, surprising, you know, great team, looked good, but just haven't, a bit like Ulster, just haven't been able to to do the business. So uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, pool 3, um, that has been English dominated, a bit like Pool 1's been French dominated, Pool 3's been English dominated. And Northampton, like what a revelation. I think they're the revelation of the season. You know, everybody kind of forgets, you know, Northampton used to be uh, a real powerhouse, both uh, in the English Premiership and Europe. Um, that's kind of fallen off the boil a bit over the over the last few years. But this year they have been sensational is the word that comes to mind. Um, they've already qualified almost with ease and all that remains in front of them is a tough trip to Munster. Um, and you know, Munster have serious European credentials, um, especially if they look at, uh, you look at their performance last year and despite a slow start, all the, the lights seem to have come on for, for the Irish side. Um, but you know, if Northampton can bring their absolutely phenomenal form with them to, uh, to to Thoman Park uh, against Munster, a home fixture in in the in the round of sixteen is pretty well guaranteed. Uh, but you know Exeter really looking impressive as well, uh, showing some of that form and pedigree that won them the title in twenty twenty. Um, 
And they finished this weekend with, uh, despite being on the road, it's only to Bayonne. And Bayonne has clearly found Europe a bridge too far this season after their promotion to France's top 14. So, yeah, I th- the big game in that pool really is the, the Munster-Northampton one. Um, you know, I think, you know, Munster, they they tend to, a bit like last year, they've suddenly started to click. Um, and they've looked particularly strong through both their URC and European season midway. And when they got to the mid, they slow start, but once they got to the midway point, they looked really good. Um, you know, Northampton is going to be a really hard side to knock over. But if anyone could do it, especially on, uh, you know, what is almost a holy ground, Thoman Park, then it's Munster. Glasgow and Toulon are... Certainly Toulon, for all intents and purposes, are out of the mix. Um, Glasgow could still be in it, and they host Toulon, which they should win, because Toulon have been poor so far this year. And especially with them now, not really much to play for. I um, That game is Glasgow's to win. But I don't know. I just think uh, Munster is going to upset the apple cart. Ex- Exeter is strong. So Glasgow will have it up against them, I think. It's a shame because they've looked a good side. And if anything, they've almost been, especially after last weekend, a tad unlucky. They still could make it, um, but it's it's a big ask. Pool four, last pool, uh, only Leinster. Uh, Irish side Leinster, European juggernaut, have secured a spot in the knockout stages. They do have a, a tough trip to Leicester, uh, who, but I would definitely say a home, home round of 16 fixtures on the cards for Leinster. Um, but for everyone else in the pool, it's, it's open season. Uh, the stormers have been playing some extraordinary rugby this season. Um, and they will definitely fancy their chances despite the long road trip to Paris to face, uh, Stan Francais, who are out of the tournament and are simply playing for nothing more than pride. But, um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, Leicester Tigers and Sail Sharks. Still very much in the mix uh, for a strong finish. Um, you know, Leicester's date with, with Leinster this weekend is potentially a bit of a fly in the ointment for them, uh, even if it is a home game at Welford Road. Um, and Sale, however, have an even more unenviable task of hosting La Rochelle. Uh, you know, defending champions from last year, uh, aside coming to the party slightly late, but after last weekend, they look in genuinely ominous form. So if I was to make my bets, I'd say in terms of how the pool will finish, I'd say uh, Leinster obviously first. That's done and dusted. But La Rochelle second, Leicester third, and Sale fourth. But all those all those three sides could still qualify. So we will see. Anyway, a festival of high-octane rugby this weekend. You don't want to miss a second of it. So Six Nations squads, um, looking at the announcements, uh, watching French teams in action in the Champions Cup, uh, Ireland's pedigree, even without Johnny Sexton and various others. Um, and, you know, England's kind of really surprising World Cup performance. I'm putting those three as the front runners for, uh, for this year's Six Nations, especially after seeing the squad announcements and the the varying reactions to it 
Um, like I said, I'm really looking forward to the, the start of this year's tournament. Um, I often usually don't look forward that much to Six Nations right after World Cup, but uh, there's a lot of new faces in this squad, a lot of guys who didn't go to the World Cup. So that traditional sort of fatigue of guys having played international test rugby without a break for almost 18 months is not going to be such a factor this year. Um, throw in some coaching shuffles, uh, some new you know, some new ideas on how the game should be played. And I think you've got a potentially very exciting grid uh, and, and, and set up. So uh, I'm excited. Um, I think, you know, although I've listed England, France and Ireland as the, as the top three, Scotland still remains a problem for me. Like I, I actually think they're in the mix this year, very much so. But for the purposes of this, uh, this blog and, uh, this podcast, I'm going to put them in the, the bottom half of the table. Um, but I could well be proven wrong on that one. Um, I think France this year are the side looking most likely to win it. Sure, there's no Antoine Dupont in the mix or Roman Intimac. But then just watch a highlights reel of some of those French teams in Europe. And all of a sudden, it almost seems kind of null and void at that point. Um. You know, this this is a French squad that is stacked from 1 to 15. Uh, you know, of the whole, you know, 34-man squad, the, the, they can field a starting 15 that is the stuff of legends. So much talent there, a fascinating blend of, uh, of, of, of youth and experience. Um, guys like Piato Movaca and Julian Marchand and then the hooker role looking fantastic. No Antoine Dupont. Um, you know, their second and back rows is the stuff that most coaches can only dream about. But like I say, no Antoine Dupont. Well, what about Maxime Lucu uh, and uh, Nolan Legaric? Uh, it's almost a bit of a moot point. Uh, same with the absence of Roman Intimac with, you know, Matthew Gelibert playing out of his skin at the moment. The, their backs are mind-bending. I mean, you have Damien Pinot. Um, the center channels look sound defensively and lethal in attack. I just, I'm struggling to find any deficiencies with this French squad. However, that's what I said about France's World Cup ambitions, and look how that turned out. Um, I think, you know, France this year will be without their traditional home of Stade de France, and that may play a factor uh, for their home games, as that's being, uh, it's off limits due to preparations for Paris hosting the Olympic Games this summer. Excuse me for a second. Um. But with both of their games against the other two title contenders, England and Iron being at home, then I certainly think the draws favored France this year. The only potential fly in the ointments uh, are a very difficult trip to Scotland and the visit from Italy, which for some reason often tends to catch France napping, though usually only at the start of the competition. And this year's fixture is going to be uh, against the Azuri mid-tournament. Wales should be nothing more than a formality, even in Cardiff leaving the crunch match at the end of the tournament against England and a possible Grand Slam in the mix in Leon on the final weekend of the tournament. Um, Ireland may well have a great deal to say about France's title ambitions, and the opening game of the tournament between the two will definitely set the tone for the entire championship. Obviously, the big question for Ireland is, what does life look like without Johnny Sexton? It's going to be a three-way race for who gets to wear the 10 jersey going forward between Munster's Jack Crowley and the two Leinster representatives of Kieran Frawley and Harry Byrne. 
with the Munsterman clearly in pole position right now. There's a new captain in the shape of warrior extraordinaire uh, in a green jersey, Peter Omani, and I'm delighted to see it. I mean, I love Peter Omani. You know, I know some people find him a controversial figure, but when it comes to grit and and spark and yeah, he's he's just legendary. Um, he's a real uh, he's a real gritty leader. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing guys like second rower Joe McCarthy get a real um, go out in the Six Nations, um, as well as the two Ulstermen in the forwards, uh, number eight Nick Timoney and hooker Tom Stewart. Uh, all the usual suspects in the backs, um, but really looking forward to seeing Calvin Nash in an Irish jersey from Munster and. Ulster's Jacob Stockdale. Can he return to the form that took the nation, the six nations by storm a couple of years ago, Ireland faced a challenging schedule, however, and it remains to be seen how this newer looking Ireland fare with the majority of their fixtures being on the road. They've got that very daunting first opening game season heading to Marseille against France and their only home fixtures against the two weakest teams in the competition, Italy and Wales. They also have that really difficult task of ending their campaign with two exceptionally tough road trips to Twickenham uh, to face England. And then they end their tournament at Murrayfield uh, against the Scotland side that will either at that stage be the revelation of the championship or ending their tournament in a traditional damp fizzle. Um, as good as Ireland are, given their schedule, I can't help feeling that they'll end up finishing a strong second, probably with a triple crown in the bag. England, if their surprising run through the World Cup, which saw them finish as bronze medalists, is anything they go by, they could be the side that everyone writes off at their peril. Um, you know, plus add into the equation the stunning form of sides like Northampton and the European Champions Cup, and all of a sudden England looked like they could pose a genuine threat this year. Uh, Steve Borthwick's now been a year in the job. He's settled into his role. He seems to have the buy-in of his players. In short, this could genuinely be a fun year to be an English supporter after what's been a pretty miserable and lean few, last few years. If that England forward pack with uh, some really exciting names in it can gel and keep its discipline, then there's a nucleus of a very potential and potent unit there. Um, especially, you know, Borthwick, he's cleaned out his cupboard of players that could just no longer make the cut, like believe in Apollo and so on. And he's given room for a younger generation to shine. And I think that can be said also of the backs uh, with Noah Owen Farrell in the mix this year um, as he's chosen to sit this one out. Is this the year that Marcus Smith really gets to shine and make the 10 jersey his home? Uh, England have a tough, um, you know, they have a potential banana skin before they had time to gel by heading off to face a new look Italy. Uh, the visit from Wales to Twickenham should consolidate whatever good work gets done in Italy preparing them for one of their most difficult assignments of recent years, a daunting trip to Murrayfield and their nemesis Scotland right now. If they emerge positively out of that one, then they will fancy their chances against the Johnny Sexonless Ireland at Twickenham before heading off to end their campaign against France and Lyon. Le Crunch match may not be playing at the Stade de France, but the noise generated by 60,000 people crammed into that Stade Olympique in, in Lyon, um, that's going to be pretty daunting, especially if France are chasing a Grand Slam at that point. And then you got the other three, Scotland, Wales, and Italy. Um, just, you know, what can Gregor Townsend do? He's got a good squad. Uh, I think they're relatively fresh for the Six Nations given the fact they got knocked out of the World Cup relatively early. Uh, can 
can Italy's new coach, Gonzalo Consada, finally push Italy over the hump of underachievement? And, you know, right Warren Gatlin's whales off at your peril, despite what's going on in Welsh rugby at a domestic level. Um, so I say these three may not be silverware contenders this year, with the possible exception of Scotland, but their ability to derail the best laid plans of the other three is a genuine possibility. But like I say, Scotland's the, the wild card here, as they always are. Um, and I think for Scotland, I, you could say they're in it to win it. Uh, I would, they certainly will believe they are. But for me, the, the, the lack of tournament consistency and staying power remains Scotland's genuine Achilles heel. They just don't seem to go be able to go to the distance in tournaments, despite some seriously world-class talent. Will this year be any different? Um, you know, I think, you know, Scotland head into this tournament with some genuine depth across all the positions. And for once, they're not nursing a casualty list from hell. You know, the, the talent, the skill, the grunt, it's all there um, in, in Townsend selections for this year. It just remains to be seen whether they can go the distance for five, five rounds. I would like to say that this year is the year, but, you know, like I say, sadly, history proves me wrong every time. Um, but, you know, I think they're going to entertain us, uh, plain and simple um that's that's all that's a guarantee this tone for how scotland's going to do will be set by that trip to wales on the opening weekend put wales the sword and followed up with throwing france off their game at murrayfield a week later and all of a sudden scotland could be in it to win it especially if they manage their now almost customary win over england in round three also to be held at murrayfield it then becomes that classic question of whether or not scotland could find the formula to finally go the distance for for a change Traditionally, they seem to run out of gas by the final rounds of the championship. And this year will not be kind to them in that regard. Uh, they got that awkward trip to Rome, which has often caused them to blow a tire in the past, followed up by a final game against Ireland at the Aviva, who by that stage could be chasing a grand slam in front of a delirious Dublin crowd. So, yeah, we'll learn a lot about Scotland, the Six Nations, but uh, I think we're going to enjoy the ride. Wales may surprise us all, uh, despite the ongoing crisis of confidence and mess that the domestic game is in. You know, Gatlin's ability to turn the men in red from uh, a disaster at club level to a formidable force that is legendary. He's gone for the, one of the youngest squads ever seen in a Welsh Six Nations tournament. And there's no doubt where his priorities lie. You guessed it, Australia and the World Cup in 2027. He'll want to see his side competitive, and perhaps even many Welsh supporters and his expectations of this tournament will just all be about performance and building for the future rather than results. It's a genuinely exciting Welsh squad that, while it may lack experience, it's not short on talent, and the building blocks for the future are there for all to see. I think if this crop of Welsh youth thrives at test level, then by the time the 2026 edition of the Six Nations rolls around, expect Wales to be very much in the hunt for the silverware, regardless of the woes of the domestic game. The Welsh fixture list is not overly kind to the men in red this year. Um, they do have the advantage of getting their campaign underway at home to um, a Scottish side that, you know, looks definitely promising. However, if their opener doesn't go well for the Welsh, then a confidence crisis could set in. And I think you know, they've got the really difficult task of spending the next two rounds on the road against Ireland and England. They end their campaign in the noisy yet comforting cauldron of the Principality Stadium against France and finish against Italy. However, this final fixture against the Azuri, even in Cardiff, has often proved to be a bit of a banana skin for them in recent years. And it'll be interesting, it'll be fascinating to see how well this young squad has coped by the, with the pressure by that. 
Last but not least, traditional wooden spoon holders Italy look to show that the progress made under former coach Kieran Crowley in the last two years was no flash in the pan. Let's face it, Italy have looked really competitive recently. Under the new management of uh, Argentinian Gonzalo Casada, Italy hopefully can turn a corner at long last. I mean, I was sad to see Kieran Crowley go, but that's a you know that's a decision that Italy have made and. They have to live with it and move on. But I think, um, like everyone else, you know, it's there's that danger of sounding like a broken record when it comes to describing Italy at the start of every Six Nations. Our hopes this year is that this is the year that Italy finally signs the critics. You know, will they transition from feisty competitors who still manage to clutch the wooden spoon after yet another seemingly false dawn into a side that can genuinely compete for a spot of the top three finishers? You know, it's still a relatively young side, but it's got enough experience to make life difficult for some of the bigger teams. Add into that Benetton's stellar form in the URC and the European Challenge Cup, and there's room for optimism. Nevertheless, they only have two games, the Six Nations, uh, at home, albeit their opener is against England in Rome, catching the napping, and all of a sudden Italy could build some momentum for an almost impossible trip to Ireland a week later. However, there's that two-week lull in between before a trip to Lille, a venue which may actually suit Italy against France, as the north of the country is not a traditional rugby heartland for Les Bleus. Not exactly a neutral venue, but also not the Stade de France and the cauldron that that is. They then come home to face uh, a Scottish side who at that stage will either be A, waiting to unravel in the most spectacular yet depressingly familiar Scottish fashion, or B, dismantling everyone who had the cheek to cast doubt over their Six Nations aspirations. And then finally, it's off to Cardiff for a fixture that Italy often seemed to relish at the end of the Six Nations. Surprise attack on Wales to salvage their campaign, especially as both these sides could at that stage be debating who will end up clutching this year's wooden spoon. Well, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to finish this off on a second podcast with the Lions Tour and uh, Rezamit. So take care, and I'll talk to you just now.